Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to talk about P&K removal rates. In our spotlight, we'll take a look at a potentially growing alfalfa issue. Egg History Minute, we'll talk about potash. Cool beans, that's corny. We'll have some current events and we'll wrap it all up with a Field Good Friday. With me today are Bill Schomburg. Hey guys. Max Garvey. What's up everybody? Todd Schomburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. So we're getting some new traffic patterns going on here. <laughs> have you guys seen the, the diverging diamond, the one that we have already existing in, in Appleton? I've been through it a couple times. but I've not been through it. It's weird. It, 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 it takes, yeah, getting used to because you, you cross from right to left, and then you're like, right you feel there. like you're in the wrong lane, kind of. Who's designing these, all these traffic things? Like, they're... How, I'm sure they're stealing it from somewhere. But probably, I, I but don't. still, in a way, like, it's amazing to me that they can come up with different patterns where also now you're driving in the left lane, and it works better. Well, and, and this is supposed to be safer, because yep. you're only, like, all traffic should only be in their lane, because there's medians, dividers, whatever you want to say, and... I mean, I could see it, but there's also like a crossover area where, I mean, they haven't yet to come up with a foolproof plan because there's a crossover area where, just like roundabouts, people stopping in roundabouts, like you could I, stop in the wrong spot and cause issues. No, that's what I figured. Like, older people are finally getting out how to use roundabouts, so now, now we got to like definitely yeah. change it so that they get extremely confused on how to drive through one of these. Because well, we're throwing this in like one of the most congested traveled areas in the right like, so this is all with that i-41 Wisconsin. project right where there's a whole bunch of stuff going from where they're gonna make it basically like three lanes from appleton to green bay yeah so along that route they're adding in different on-ramps with roundabouts and different ones with the diverging diamonds and yeah where's the one currently that you've driven it's through? off of 441 oh, over there yeah on oneida i believe it is yeah. Okay. It's so not to, the highway though. Right. These are, gonna These be are going on the freeway interstate. This is just a, a city road. Yeah. These will be over forty one to. So if you're on four forty one, you wouldn't notice any difference. No. But if you're driving o- across it on Oneida, under, yeah, under, under it, yeah. But that's the on ramp though. That's where you correct. Get, yeah. Yeah. It's on, these on ramps are different. Right. Which was a cluster before this. Yeah. No, it, like I said, it seems to work. Like it's it's not entirely foolproof, but it watching like it when you get to you like used to using it, think, it, yeah, yeah, it like it, makes sense. Like there's yeah. less sort of left turns. You just kind of go straight, and then yeah. And it, what, what's weird, weird is because of the way it it ends up is is like you you're turning left on to an on ramp, and there could still be traffic coming and turning right. Sure, in the same in, area. In so front you do have to merge. There's still a merging point, but and it's, you're turning left in the forest left lane. Like, not in your left lane, in the other side's left lane, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, you're way over to the left side, not the left side of the right side. The other, this is really the replacement for roundabouts when there isn't room, right? I mean, that's essentially Probably. what this is for. Yeah. Because you can't fit a roundabout. Like, where we're talking, you can't fit a roundabout in there. And you'd need to fit four well, would be the problem. I think they finally realized, like, we can't just slam six roundabouts <laughs> in, in, in a spot <laughs> and, like, that's have the part I have sense. where you have some of these where they're like four roundabouts in a row to get in. It's brutal because this still utilizes a traffic light. Yeah. Okay. So there, there are times when you can stop traffic, whereas with a roundabout, you can't yeah. stop traffic. 
The ones on 41 in, um, is it Oneida in Green Bay, not in Appleton? I'm thinking on Mason. Mason's brutal. Like I'll even yeah. avoid that because you have four in a row, and it just fe- like to get to Home Depot. Yeah. It's like all I feel like I'm driving in circles. There's, yeah. that's there's the one a, I'm talking. There's about. four in a row on Shearing Road, and it feels like nothing. But there's so much less traffic there. That yeah, I, yep. But it, you go to Minnesota enough, Bill. Those where they got that like clover leaf shaped, where you got to like zipper in and off, and it. I hate those, and maybe once you're used to them, yeah, it's not like, as bad, but... It's not I, as bad as what it feels like, because you see this, like, you're trying to get off to the right, and the the traffic that's merging in is, like, coming right at you, so you just got to judge, like, am I going to be ahead of them, am I going to be behind them, do I got to hit the gas to get ahead of them or to break, and I think most of the time, people, we should just... Like when you're doing that, don't try to speed up. Like just slow down and let the guy go. That's but don't out. stop either. It's almost well, like, stop, but yeah, like slow down. Like let the guy that's merging go and you pull in behind him. Like don't try to beat him. And that's kind of the biggest problem because I just saw you know, a week or two they had a thing like a reminder that entering the highway you don't have right away. Like it's the traffic on nope. the highway has has the right away. How many times? Which is you... problematic because if no one lets you in, like right. you're supposed to get to speed. Well, if you get to seventy miles an hour, and no one lets you in, then you either have to ride the rumble strip or like how stop. Many, how many times have you been entering an on ramp, coming on an on ramp, and there's a semi there, and they have nowhere to go? Right. So you just like, and that's more understandable than, and than a car go. that won't like a semi is a different situation than like just cars that don't pay attention, don't look at. Don't, at all and don't you just like normal people you just get over you're like i can leave that yeah lane or, open. or you you speed up or you slow down to let let people in right but i've added where i've had to hit the rumble strips because the semi like we just it's just the correct timing and the semi doesn't move over and he's not ahead of me or i can't get behind him and i gotta ride the rumble strip a little bit the semi is also the the foil to the roundabout because semis don't stop for yields usually they usually blow through, especially on that well, Mason Street and, interchange. And think about like you, you can't do you can't you're not supposed to enter a roundabout with the semi, right? But I mean, they'll enter while you're in the roundabout, is what I'm saying, right? When you're getting on 41 because you're both going, and but I'm just saying they, right they screw up it. the roundabout because you you're not supposed to enter from any other place in the roundabout while the semi is in, yeah, right? Because it takes up both all of the lanes. And I've watched people enter, and oh you know what happens? God. They get the top of their car ripped off, yeah. Did you ever go on those newer roundabouts on where they did the flyover on 29 and 41? Kind of by Fleet, like underneath oh, by Fleet yeah. Farms. Yep. So if you're going down on there, Duck those Creek are Park my favorite. Messy. Oh, my God, they're crazy. Yeah. And those are the latest where I've seen. Those are really hard to know what the right lane is oh, yeah. to be in to go where you but want. But I never, right. I never I, sit there. No, you, you just, just go. Right through. But there I was at one where there was an older gentleman that was very confused, and he made like three laps around yeah. one, and then like, yeah, it was it – was, kind of stop partially in one of them because it it's just so many of them that you you are like holy man where do i my where do i go here my <laughs> grandpa had never seen when he came to visit and like took us to walmart and to pier there and you got to go through like three of them four of them and he would kept looking to the right nobody was coming he'd pull in and i'm like stop you gotta yield to the left you yield, yield to, to the, the left in a roundabout just chill out you know so it's different apparently you you wouldn't believe it, but like when matt and i were doing driver's ed like that was like literally. I remember driving to the Howard, and they had one in De Pere too, like yep. special that 
that was like the first uh, two in the we, area. We did that they, too. Yeah, they had to like take us through the roundabout. They didn't build the, all the ones into Pier till after I got my driver's license. So it must have been the Howard one then. And yeah, well, they had did they have one into Pier and then they went a couple years and they built like three more. Well, the east side of the bridge, right, was kind of the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dang you, DePier. We I'm, blame you for... I'm old enough to remember not having to take driver's seat. Yeah, driver's did, in ed. driver's ed, you wouldn't have had no. to... You didn't have to take driver's ed at all? No, or, no. Yeah, okay. No, I took driver's <laughs> yeah. yeah, ed. His horse and buggy, they yeah. just gave him the license right away. You, you probably did. I like, didn't even know what a roundabout was. Right. I, I experienced a roundabout where, when I wasn't driving because when I went to France... With French oh, clubs yeah. in high school, they had roundabouts. roundabouts uh, yeah. Like being in a in a tour bus going through, and they were sm- they're not like big ones like we built here. Okay, they're, they're, they're smaller. They're like roads. with fountains and stuff in the middle. What's right. the one? With, and it was like, holy shit, are we gonna make this this wee wee this bus? Like, wee wee. Is there one around the Arc de Triomphe? Yeah, that's is that like a six laner or something? It's, it's a there's a lot of traffic <laughs> through there. Yeah, it, there's one of them that you look on a you just go, how do people get in and out of that one? Try crossing that on in a crosswalk. Walking. Yeah, because yeah. we went to the the Triumph and like yeah, you you can cross, but at your own safety. <laughs> Here's the real problem with your roundabouts. Uh, people from out of Wisconsin refer to them with two other names that are both disgusting: traffic circle, gross, <laughs> rotary, rotary, rotary. What is wrong with you? Who calls it a rotary? I think that's a East Coast thing. East Coast. I saw it on TikTok the other day, and then I've I heard just, the traffic. Circle I just googled it to make sure it was real, and yeah, the rotary or or traffic circle. Get it right. It's the bubbler. It's the yeah, a rotary would be kind of cool if you just like drove into a stall and it turned around and then yeah. you out where you were going. I'm probably gonna get lynched I, for this, but I love roundabouts. Like, I, I think they're great. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I don't dislike I, them. I like well placed roundabouts. Like replacing a four way stop with a roundabout. Excellent awesome. idea. Yes. You stacking go. them you like go. you go, you go seven in a row, yeah, to make you just like get almost seasick trying to drive, like or areas where the roundup can potentially get backed up. You decided to peer. My uh, favorite is yeah. where they well, don't work, and that's, that's across right. the bridge on the pier. You're talking right by yeah. the yep. yeah, that one that, is insanely bad. Right, like right when you come across the bridge, right, yeah. and one lane will get backed up like super far, and then the other three for some reason like well, it's just. Interesting that watching was the first how it one, just doesn't and they work. They didn't make it big enough. They didn't make enough lanes. No, that was the like it was later, I would they say. They didn't make that enough one. lanes yeah. though. How about the one we're gonna get right here? That that's, that's been rumored forever. Like near Tilthuck headquarters, like there's been rumors of, of roundabouts for, for the a thing long is, time. Like, again, right by the quick trip here. Perfect. Yeah. yeah, that would be a perfect spot for. And, a and now they're making them big enough for semi. I I always don't like like pulling trailers through them or like farm equipment isn't. It can be okay, but like yeah. guys with semis too, if they're built wrong, what's, it's not. What's funny a, is the rumor where they're gonna put them. Right, but trying to stack terrible two, spot. Two. too close together, right? Yeah, C and fifty four meet. Yeah, that would not be. That would be a cluster. Unless they made it one gigantic one and just. Like, and then the subway would have to close down again because. Oh no! They're gonna have to take, <laughs> take out part of that brand new area they just built. Actually, you know where I wish they would put one, and they can't because your Freedom High School is too close. Is that oh, E and S E right. and uh, fifty five? Oh, it's all at an angle. Yeah, there. that is a terrible intersection. Because you're like you got to look. But hey, like depending where you are, you got to look. The crossing guard who works there is very nice. He is Mr. He, Gale. He waves he's a beast. at me every day. Mr. Oh, yeah? Gale's a beast. He's just dude. sitting there waving at everybody. Yeah, he dances and he. Oh, that's the move. Mr. Yeah. Gale's nice. awesome. He just uh, let cool. the kids <laughs> run through. <laughs> yeah. and just waves at cars. He's like. 
Yeah, go. Yeah, all right, whatever. Hey, Bob. Yeah. Yep. Mr. Mr. Gale's a beast. I like Mr. Gale. Yep. He's he's good. He's always like, I brought him a coffee a couple times. Just yeah. Like when it's really cold, though, like you feel for him having to stand out there. I brought him a coffee and he's always like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. And then he gets to his dancing and directing kids across. He's He's one of a kind. Kids are lucky to have him. All right, that's All right. our traffic talk. Yeah, now that you it's understand. Now that we've dissected Northeast Wisconsin traffic patterns and circles and whatever else. Rotaries. 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 That dumb. is dumb. Yeah. Now let's get into our topic for today. So, Todd, what do you got for us? Yeah, so this kind of is expounding on Matt's topic of last week where we discussed kind of making a fertility plan and where you should go. This is a little bit more of the background of where do these rates sort of come from. So part of it's hard is like, well, should we have done this one first to start the foundation? But we we wanted that one first to kind of have that foundation of where you're going. But this is what is underlying in a lot of the wrecks and where do we get these removal rates from? We're going to be pretty specific to removal rates this week and, what, and more specific to P and K in general. So we're expounding on the journey that is yes. fertility. Yeah. <laughs> Phosphorus in, phosphorus, phosphorus out. I, what I always wish this was was like a really simple like checkbook method is what I always thought when I sure, would take my a deposit or you're right paying out. Well, and it, it worked. You had like words like soil bank we use, so it was like, hey, it's like a bank. You just put money in, it makes interest, and then how much this is? Do we have FDIC insured? We, we uh, sort of two do, parts uh, per billion. Yeah, two parts per billion. But there's ways where that does really work, and there's ways where that doesn't, where we're not truly like a soil bank, where it it just, we are using some averages and book values, and they're the best that we have, but we do have to remember there's still averages and book values. So I know we're talking P and K, but is nitrogen then like the soil stock market? Yeah, kind like of it is. is. Yeah. You're going to go like yeah. major gains or your total loss. <laughs> the, yes. It it is like the stuff, yeah. P and K would be like the CDs, maybe. No, I don't. The nitrogen K would be yeah. like CDs. Probably your uh, uh, why can't I think of the term? Like a a well diversified portfolio yes. compared to nitrogen. Yeah, we got to get rid of this dumb a bar- mutual fund. This, more like a mutual fund. This barrel and staves, and use this. Uh, I like where Matt's going analogies. into this mutual fund analogy. Need that, some world. Uh, yep, you got to have different stocks diversification. And, yeah, we're talking not. What we're qualifying? No, here. look, do not invest in sandy soils. It what? is, it is a literal sieve. Yes, just you're gonna lose it. <laughs> sell, sell, sell. What? Did, what would be like? The do, do, do not Bitcoin. take financial advice from Till the Ground. I mean, yeah. I'm putting the, the yeah, disclaimer our lawyer would like to put on this. Please do not take financial advice from us. This, this is our mad money. We episode. could be like Kramer. Yeah, I like. I got to get the little buzzers. Yeah, bye, bye, bye. Sell, sell, sell. <laughs> All right. Anyway, sorry. Back to the topic. So the, so just to start, so there's, for one, we're, we're going to kind of expound on the removal rates of different crops. So that's how much, basically, nutrient is in that kernel of corn that you remove that goes down the road. But to start, there's also a buffering capacity of the soil that we got to think about that we, that's a book value in a way of right now what UW Rex show is it takes about six pounds of K2O to change the soil one part per million. So there's this buffering capacity that is, is sort of a 
can be a range as well that if you put in, let's look at it in reverse. So if you put in a pound of K2O, basically it would take six of those pounds to change it one part per million K. And we in general see that, but it's it's still a book value and it's assumption. So like we were talking last week of well, why didn't VRT recs always work like we thought, it's because of that. It's because we don't know the buffering capacity of these soils. We know what they should be from different soil types, but they're not always like that. Um, one good analogy there would be in, in pH, we do, we take, the, when we take and send in a soil test to the lab, we get a pH value, but we also get a buffer pH value. And that's where they literally take in the lab, put in a buffer, the score buffer, and then they see, okay, it takes this much lime to change that by this much. But in our soil tests, we don't get a buffer K number or a buffer P number. So that's where it's really tricky where on lime, we literally know how much ton of lime it will take. I mean, that's, that's right in the lab test, but in the lab test, we don't, there is no such thing as a, like a buffering test to know that. So that's one tricky part is we're using sort of assumptions. That's why we take soil tests, you know, every two to three years, because then we sort of see, well, how did it change? Um, and that there is, we've tried to do it as agronomists, look at like, well, what is the buffering capacity then of that field? Because we know how much we put in and we kind of know how much we removed, but that's where we'll get onto is we don't necessarily know how much we removed as much as we think. Right. So, well, that, and, it, and it varies by nutrient too. So there's, I, it's all, it's really just a, you can't just think of it as like, oh, well, it's this much P and K. It's like, no, it's a different formulation every time. So it's, yeah. It, yeah. It's complex. Yep. So that's sort of the soil part of it. Um, when you get into the phosphorus buffering capacity, then it takes for kind of your low meter soils, it's 18 pounds of P205 to change it one part per million soil test. And for sandy soils, it's 12 pounds of P205 to change it. So, so that's why you can see in... In more of your sandy soils, you might see it change more quickly in phosphorus, either going up or down um, compared to a loamy soil. And then in the K side, they're they're pretty close. It, on loamy soils for K, it's six to seven pounds, and for sandy, it's six, but they're pretty much right there. Uh, I'd like to throw a flag on the play here. Um, I've told you guys this story before, but I actually met a guy, and he told me it was eight. That the buffer capacity was it's eight? eight. Like if you on, want on K, it's eight. I he no no I, yeah. <laughs> this I, this was how many pounds of potash do I have to put on to change my soil oh. test one part per million? And I said that's not a that's like a that's like a eighteen fold question. And he said no, it's eight eight. And, and, said, and plus pounds of K two O versus pounds, pounds of, potash of potash is different too. So right. it it's, it's yeah one to one. The point but, I'm trying yeah. to get to here is this is a nuanced thing. It's yes. not there is not a one like. You don't just go. Yep, we need eight pounds, and it'll be fixed. Like it's not. Right. It's not how it works. It's a very complex issue of managing different soil types, the different buffering capacities, the different products you're using. Because yeah, potash to only pounds of K is not a one to one. What is scary with this is it's one of those deals. Like the more we know, the more we realize we don't know. So I would it's a agree great way to describe with it. it is that, <clears throat> and that can be the journey with anything. Is like that whole chart of like you th where you think you're not all and then you start to realize like holy man i right. don't mount stupid yeah. yeah is that what it's called i yep. like that yeah <laughs> what is it called mount stupid 
Because like you're an expert, and then you, you get to a certain point where you're, you you realize like, oh, I know nothing, and then you drop down off of the mountain. Oh, it's stupid. Like where, you, yes, where I do feel like this is one where we are diving now into more Mount Stupid. Yes, you're right. But Matt. if you do the math, Max, it is eight, kind of. Kind of. Eight pounds of potash. Eight pounds of. Which isn't eight pounds of K2O, because potash isn't 100% K2O. Right. right. So you do the math, it is, Todd's right, it's six to seven. But, yeah, but, I, would, but I would say, too, that is still a range that is not. Right. That the real range is probably two to 20. I don't, I don't know. I, I did not find any research on that or could not, that they were looking into that. But to, to know that each soil is different, each year is different, how, how the plant roots extract it can be different. So let's dive into basically what, what are the – so when we're looking at some of the fertility recs, we take into account you know your soil test values, the buffering capacity of soil, and then you usually put a yield goal in there. Well, why do you have a yield goal? Well, the yield goal is basically to say, well, what's how much are you going to remove with that yield? So a lot of times, like in Stamp Plus, it's a yield range. And it usually takes the middle of that yield range, uh, which they're they're pretty they're tight enough where that works. So it takes the yield the middle of that yield range, and basically like for corn grain, it's 0.38 pounds of P2O5 per bushel of yield. That's kind of the the A2809 book value, and then for potassium or K2O, it's 0.29 pounds of K2O per unit yield. So those are, we have those for many crops for, I mean, it's listed here for vegetable crops, for silages, everything's in here. One thing to really note is that when you start taking grain versus whole plant, that it changes a lot. Um, That, you know, that's why we see corn silage, alfalfa, kind of your forages start to pull a lot more potassium. Yeah. It's tenfold on... P and it's way more than tenfold on K. Right. So that is one spot, which makes sense. We're removing just the quantity we're removing is more. The 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 amount is more. So it's it's a different thing that way. And then the other thing to remember is that that's one reason why you do want to know your yields going back, say, ten years is is because as yields increase, you want to make sure that number is changing so that you can use that right factor that just because 10 years ago you always fertilized you know 100 pounds of dap and 100 pounds of potash you know and that's what you always did make sure you're kind of updating that over time because your your units of yield change now there's so that's kind of like uw's got some recs each kind of university has some and then there's also ones i do like from ip and i which is the Fertilizer Institute? Yeah, the Fertilizer Institute has some. And that's, like, who the Hefty Brothers use. They Like, Hefty Brothers got an app for removal. And from what they're, from what it's said, they're using the sort of guidelines from there. Um, Michigan State has some. There, there's just different ones, and each are different. And I think it can be different, obviously, through the whole country. So that's one thing to think about is make sure you use as much local data as you can. But as we're going into next is one things, one of the things that um, the University of Illinois found in some of the data they've been working on is that 
the modern corn hybrids nutrient like the newer high yielding hybrids are are removing less nutrients per bushel than the book values were that they found that over you know as that these hybrids are kind of more nutrient efficient if you'd want to call it that and so there's kind of some change that they're looking at you know that these these are updated over time but one of the things they any anything do you guys have to expound on that does that make sense of how you explain so basically they're finding that corn's more efficient than yeah. it used to be yeah yeah you think mean, that the more bushels you get the more nutrients you remove right but I, I still think that is the key i mean going from they're not finding it so efficient that changing from 200 bushel to 250 there's not an increase in nutrient you know like it's more but what they are saying is it's, it's not, not those, as much more, more right. as you thought it was. Right. The, curve, those factors, the curve isn't as steep as they right. thought it those was. Those factors change. It's not like going from 100 bushel to 200 bushel, you remove double. Correct. Right. You know, That'd be a good way to look at right. it. It's uh, like if you went from one of them to the next and say, well, that's double the nutrients. Like, no, it's, it's – and what their numbers show is it's about like a 14 okay. – yeah, go ahead, man. Here it is. So, this would make better TV, Matt, the way you're like – I know, the way I'm cupping and, my hands and <laughs> pointing at you. Uh so I, I just thought of this, and you guys can critique this. Maybe maybe I'm totally out of whack here, but think of it like physics and overcoming friction. The more, the faster you're going, the less energy you need to go the next level faster because you've already overcome friction, friction yep. to a certain point. So it's kind of like that. Sure. It's like you're once you're going 50, it takes less energy to get to 55 than it did to get from zero to 50. Does that make you know yep. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so Does that track. That's my first ever physics lesson in my life. Because <laughs> we've already overcome the initial... You've got to chuck something at him, have gravity. I can't remember the, the term, and my e equals M friend Jim Johnson, who's a physicist... Well, he's a high school physics teacher anyway. <laughs> could correct me. <laughs> and a curling pro. And a curling, curling pro. pro. Could correct me, but yeah, there's... I can't remember the term for like that initial... There's like the initial movement you need to overcome to, friction. To get there. And then, yeah, from there, it's... yeah Thrust. Yes. I like it. So, yeah. Sorry. Just thought of that. So, so to expound, that's good, Matt. Basically, what they're finding is it's about 14% lower than the values were 15 years ago. So, not a, you know, and you look at a percentage too, like it's, and it varies by crop. So, it was 14% in corn. Soybean was like 10% less and in average um wheat i think they found eight percent so around average they're using this 12 percent so so basically too that's not enough to to change you know your yield gain probably from 15 years ago is better than 12 percent yield gain so that's one thing to think about too is that you know if you're yielding 175 bushel corn and now you're yielding over 200 bushel corn like just that yield gain alone, you need to change your rec. You know, these will maybe you don't have to change it as much as you thought, you know, obviously 12% less than what you sort of thought. So Bill's idea of like doubling it, that's where that works. You don't need to double it. Right. You just need to, to up it by, by some different. And then the other part that they found is there's a lack of association between crop yields and nutrient con con like concentration. So, what is interesting with that is the other part you got to remember is we are using like book values here. So it like in P205, it ranged from like 0.2 to 
to half. So there's a big difference there as well that it the, the not all are equal in that too. So that's a tricky part as well that there's some slop in that number is just using a book value. You're just using kind of an average. The more I read about it is they weren't using averages. They were using, in general, you, we use the 75th percentile, which I don't know enough about statistics to know exactly what that meant. But well, it's maybe a little bit better than the average or something like well, that. Well, average would be 50th percentile. So you're Right. So something about that, you know, we're kind of... We're beyond the mean. Yeah, a little bit. It, it, you know, and, and like I said, we already got slot factor in the buffering capacity of the soil. Now we're looking at there's some slot factor in just the, the nutrient value there as well. So slot factor is the scientific term. Is that yeah, Matt? What was that the at the conference you were at and the guy put in his equation and it was like uh, a, the fuzziness coefficient or something. Yeah, like that. fuzziness yeah. coefficient. I like that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you totally got to like up fuzz, fuzziness. You gotta up the fuzziness coefficient. It's fine. <laughs> Just a little fuzzier than we thought. My favorite in all this, and I remember back in college seeing scatter plots, but a lot of this data, they do they're they're using scatter plots and then they're drawing you know basically an average line through the middle or doing something like that. So that is one thing to remember is we are just taking the average of the scatter. Like we're not um, it it's. It's still some sloppiness in there. So one of the things that, like with those ranges, and Matt, you kind of talked about it last week, is the the UW guy kind of said maybe making, trying to find a way to make our own removal numbers. Like a removal map, yeah, basically like figuring that out. So was he thinking you'd actually test some of your grain going off the farm for its P and K level, then associate that with the yield? Or did he expound at all on what that meant? From what I remember, it was just kind of like that's the next step. Yeah, not that he had a had a specific plan, like plan or you know the golden method of figuring that out. But I think yeah, that grain testing might be part of it, like figuring out because really, I mean, not to get too far off topic, but if you look at the the point of nutrient density, which gets talked about with soil health and some of that other stuff. They're saying that can change. So if your, nu- your nutrient density of your kernel right. is different in a given field for whatever reason, whether it's how you treat your soil, the type of plant hybrid you're using, um, you know, your fertilization program, that would matter. So testing that nutrient density would probably be a part of that right. system. Right. So I think that is, you know, to go where things are going, I think that is the next step of looking at those numbers on your specific farm to try to dive into it. One of the things since... A lot of our listeners and a lot of the growers we work with are um, dairy farmers or feed livestock in some way is trying to find ways to, to to work with your nutritionist and tie back. They're taking feed samples. Like they have samples of the feed. And what I would say is they're taking more samples than we used to take. Like to, to associate it, like we said, there's some variability just in that as well. And, th- and then it'll be difficult to, to, to dial it in. But there is some ways to see... You know, and at least start down that road of working with nutritionists, trying to find a way, okay, can we add one or two things to the test or is something already in that test that could predict what a removal rate for 2022 corn silage was for phosphorus? You well, know, like and just, in general, we test what comes out of the cow, which has nutrient right. in it. So somehow that would probably factor I, in, too, of having to figure, obviously you'd have to count for other things that are getting no, put I've, in that pit. I've always wanted to try to do that. The matter, I think we're working towards it. Is and again, this is one of the things. The more we more, the more we don't know, 
but it's to to kind of connect that circle. Right. Is we look at we look at soil tests, we look at manure inputs, we know what the crop did, and then we kind of quit at when the crop leaves. When it gets yeah. And then we if we In have feed, feed tests, you know, and then it goes through the cow and we got manure coming back. Like to to kind of finish that loop. Right. Could so, be a very beneficial thing to a lot of. So knowing the concentration when it goes in, probably have to test the milk to I, see how much is in the milk, and then. The I mean, in some and, ways, you they they are testing milk for mercury are, right. and nitrogen, some of those levels. So that's always interesting to me too. Is some of these tests aren't things that are new either. It's just getting the data right, connecting the dots. Yes, yeah. in the in where we can talk and and as agronomists, we talk to nutritionists, but I would say not enough and not when I first started doing this nutritionist would always be mad at me for giving them bad feed. And then there was somewhere in there where they just sort of just threw up their hands at a ground. I was like, whatever, I'll feed whatever you give me. And and they've been go- almost good about it that way of like, you know, I get it. There's weather factors and other things. And they just sort of work, I would say kind of along with you or just take whatever you give them. And I think we're now moving into a spot where we got to collaborate a little bit more to kind of try to complete that of what are you seeing in the feed samples? What does that mean from an agronomy standpoint? How do we, how do we change X, Y, or Z to, to make that better? So, yeah, I, um, that's, I mean, that kind of went a little bit further than I wanted to, I guess, with the, when we're just looking at sort of your fertility program. But like I said, we want to give you guys, our listeners out there, the big picture of where we're going what we're thinking and how how were how were the wrecks kind of where did where did they come from and this is where we're going right and it, ultimately it's yeah we don't want to say that it's not valuable to know if your soil tests are going up or down it's just fi- figuring out the minutiae of how much do we need to increase it and decrease it because obviously if your tests are going up then you're doing enough and to to build those soils whatever you're doing um and that's part of the fertility program is at least maintaining or possibly building depending what those levels are at one thing i i think this is a good spot to end it is also that as we do different things to plants we're going to see different different other outcomes of nutrient and bill and i were sitting on a, a fmc webinar about their new product zyway fungicide and they talked about in there that they're seeing a seven and a half percent increase in the tissue test levels. So basically, like they're getting more nutrient in that plant. Okay. Um, and it was on like eighty eighty one percent of the sites, and it, it sort of said it's tied to some sort of University of Wisconsin study evaluating the nitrogen, the nutritional content in corn. So having the fungicide was and increasing plant health inside the plant was. Adding to, to the uptake correct. of nutrients. Right. Yep. Yeah. So then, too, like all of a sudden you chuck that in there. All, again, all, your removal rates are probably different just from using that particular product. So there's a lot more that goes into that as well. And even there, do you use, can I use less fertilizer potentially then if I'm using this fungicide because it's going to be more efficient and right. all, all, all the little minor details, but it, it did just hit me of, Again, just adding, you don't think of when you add a fungicide, you don't think of what that affects on the fertilizer side. Right. And you think it's just, yeah, I'm keeping my health, my plant healthier, avoiding disease and yield loss, not right. I'm making my plant more plant, efficient. I'm, I make, right. Potentially. 
Correct. And again, this was, and, and it was on an FMC thing, but it looked like they were citing some University of Wisconsin data. So um, it, it was just interesting of all the other details that go in to that and could potentially change your rec, uh, which I guess to end on, I don't want that to mean that you shouldn't try to do something and get better just because it's that sloppy doesn't mean we can't try to dial the dials as much as we can with VRT. It is sloppy. It's not perfect. That doesn't mean it's wrong. Right. It just means that you got to do the best we can with our current technology. All right. Like said, now we'll look at our spotlight for today. So a growing or potentially not growing alfalfa problem is our spotlight for today. Um, basically looking at possible carryover of certain chemicals in our crop rotation that may inhibit the growth of alfalfa. So Mark Renz at UW is looking into these issues plaguing alfalfa. Uh, they've had challenges in some cases getting the alfalfa established. Stand failures have been caused by agronomic issues, weather issues, machinery issues, soil board disease. But another problem that seems to be showing up more and more is because of herbicide carryover. And that is something that you know we've talked about, I think, on the podcast a few times, looking at plant-back restrictions and some of those things. But um, even beyond that, having that carryover aspect isn't always the first thing we think of when we see issues with establishment because of all the other things I mentioned, weather, machinery issues, soil-borne disease. I think this goes to our battle with water hemp and trying to increase residuals. Right. Is and what later. We, right. And later in the season, too. And what have we done then is increase the amount that could be there when we're planting alfalfa. So I, Mark Rentz is doing a great job of studying these things, you know, really trying to look into it. I think he has a good line in here of there are 22 different residual herbicides that we use in corn, which is a lot if you think of the, just the residual side of it that's not talking about contact. And he sa it says about half of them have plant back restrictions of less than 10 months. So it's basically saying half of them are ones that you probably do have carryover problems potentially and you got to really watch. So I think this is helpful, I think, We've seen some years where establishment of alfalfa, and the establishment of alfalfa is always tricky where you get disease and, you know, water plays a big part into it as well. Yeah, if we get a dry spring and I, yeah, or too wet. I mean, or too wet, yeah. So, so just helping us pull out any of those things that make it uncertain for that new seeding would be helpful to know. So I appreciate what Mark Renz is doing here, trying to research, kind of get our plan for corn in line so that when you go into alfalfa, you, you got a basically a, a better chance of success. Stack the deck in your favor. Control what you can control, and this is what you can control. Absolutely. All right, let's move into our Ag History Minute. All right, today we're going to talk Potash. So the Potash Corporation of Saskatchewan, also known as Potash Corp, was a company based in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. The company merged with Calgary-based Agrium to form Nutrien in a transaction that closed on January 1st, 2018. The company was the world's largest potash producer 
and the third largest producer of nitrogen and phosphate, three primary crop nutrients used to produce fertilizer. The end of 2011, the company controlled 20% of the world's potash production capacity. Say that three times fast. Mm-hmm. 2% of nitrogen production capacity and 5% of phosphate supply. The company was part owner of Canpotex, which manages all potash exporting from Saskatchewan. It is also a, had a joint venture with Sinochem named Sinofert. In late 2013, it was 60% owned by institutional shareholders. In 2007, CEO William Doyle was by far the highest earning CEO in Canada, earning $320 million. So we got some Canadian potash, eh? I still see a ton, like most of the, I feel like most of the fertilizer train cars you see still say potash corp they on do. them like sure. it's amazing yep. to me of and which red it's not that long ago cool. yeah maybe you just they pop out better is, is red what you'd call that color yeah it's like a salmon salmon, salmon. yeah it's like an orangish red it's a yeah it looks like potash <laughs> kind of actually it does potash colored paint and get that for your for your living room remodel <laughs> is that salmon no no that's potash, potash. They probably have. Can a, you go to Home Depot? Yeah, they say they got all them color all swatches them. and what they name stuff. I'm sure there's. I'm gonna one. go look next time. Yeah. Hey, can I get Uriel White? <laughs> 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 all right, thanks, Matt, and thanks to all our listener, listeners out there. Please subscribe to the podcast and tell a farmer friend. We appreciate all our listeners out there. All we ask you is that tell somebody else about the podcast, especially if they already listen to podcasts. Ours is another easy listen to subscribe to. It's real easy. You just search Tilt Talk Radio and Apple Podcasts. Or on Android, you'll need to download another app. We like Podcast Addict. That works pretty good for us. You can also listen on your computer or smartphone browser. So both on your phone, you can just pull up you know, your whatever browser you use, your Chrome on there, and go to tiltagcom slash podcast. We're now available on Amazon Music. And you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilt Talk Radio. All right. Thanks, Todd. Now we'll move into our Cool Beans. That's corny and some current events. So Cool Beans? Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. All right. Our Cool Beans this week. River Rebound is the shipping crisis on the Mississippi finally ending. So things are looking better in the Mississippi River. As you probably aware, the levels were pretty low last fall. Uh, since last July, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has been dredging the river 24 hours a day, seven days a week to help Let's ease. go. Like, look at that. That's awesome. I didn't know. they. I mean, you knew what they were doing. I didn't know it was like right, 24-7. Yeah. Um, so, for instance, on February 13th in Memphis, Tennessee, they looked at the river gauge reading. It was at 10.3 feet. Last October, the river level was nearly negative 11 feet. So they gained 20 feet in the last six, eight months here, um, which is which is good. It means the, the river is coming back up. That's due to increased snowpack in Montana, precipitation through midsection of the country late last fall and through winter. So now we're seeing kind of a return to at least positive river-level measurements uh, in certain areas. So it's good to see that. I, think I like in the bottom of this article, I know freight got expensive, I didn't know it was this bad. So right now, a shipment originating in St. Louis is $18.55 per ton. Last October, 
from cargo originating St. Louis, $105.85 per ton. Holy smokes. Yeah. That's pretty aggressive. That's That shows how important it is to invest in our infrastructure like the government is in this case, which is really good just to keep that. That river is extremely valuable to the right. Midwest. I mean, and we have limited rail. We need the river for shipping the barges, and when the river's low or super high, then we see issues. So keeping that kind of under control is important to keeping the bottom line for a lot of these companies. So, all right. Our That's Corny this week. PETA, not the people for eating tasty animals, but the <laughs> people for the ethical treatment of animals, has offered to pay for Wienermobile repairs if the vehicle goes vegan. Uh, so this is coming, <laughs> coming out of Philadelphia. Uh, yep. the vehicle. Yeah. So following reports that Oscar Mayer Wienermobile's <laughs> catalytic converter was stolen... <laughs> Probably not by members of PETA. <clears throat> yeah, PETA we, has come up with a solution. They said they will offer, they will pay for the replacement part as long as the Wiener Mobile becomes vegan. Uh, so they want a vegan hot dog mobile. The switch wouldn't be too hard. They argue, considering Oscar Mayer Company already has plans to sell vegan dogs in the future. So I don't know how, like, from Oscar Mayer's point of view, it's like. So we just put vegan on the side of the dog, and we're good. Like it's a sticker. Maybe you turn it green. Yeah. What, <laughs> yeah, yeah, green. what does a vegan dog look, look like? like yeah. Can't you just use like soybean? carrot juice or something to make it? Yeah, soybean. The same color. Soybean. Yeah, it's a to- uh, tofu you just, dog. You just make it out of tofu, and then put all kinds of ungodly dyes into it, and it's vegan. It's better. It's better. Yeah. Do you know there are six Wiener Mobiles throughout the United States? Nope. Uh, I didn't know it was six exactly. I did, however, know that uh, my wife, her now retired boss's son, used to drive one. Did you know the official name of the driver is a hot dogger? Hot dogger? <laughs> yes. Sweet. Shocking. Do you remember when the one when the one went in the ditch in Wisconsin? Was that like two winters ago? I, that keeps popping up on like Facebook and stuff, so I, yeah. I don't know when that it was, was. But At least it's hard. Maybe to, it might be a little longer. I think it's hard even. to drive that thing. I would think so. It's kind of a big, like I wonder how the weight distribution is. Like, is it a hollow dog? Where is the yeah? Where is, is the engine in that? To that, I assume the engine is in the front under the windows there. But I don't. Have, know. You, have you guys ever driven by one? No. The well, kids got all jacked. They're like, we drove by one once, and Dad's like, my one of my boys is like, Dad, it's the hot dog car. Like, sweet. And it's just like, er, yeah, like did it's got to be fun to drive because everybody like around, you know, like everybody driving around it, it's. It's pretty fun to see. Did you I have they've a, a Wienermobile Hot Wheels? Because I did. Ooh. I wonder if they've equipped them with backup cameras now. Because that would be the yeah. worst, like trying back to back that up. sucker up. Like, Do they pull them off the road when it's really windy? Right? Yeah. Like a box truck or something. Maybe Depends. That thing would catch. It's, it is curved, though, so maybe it's, it's very, a little better. It'd be aerodynamic, at least. <laughs> like, it doesn't I put, don't like, know about that one. <laughs> well, you don't have like the top of the bun. on. It's, it's just true. got like a bottom bun. Yeah, I don't know. Bill, I would say if there's wieners to be delivered, they got to be on the road, man. Yep. They also have, like, in 2017, so this is, I think Heinz owns, no, who owns Oscar Oscar Mayer? Mayer. Uh, Kraft owns Oscar Mayer. Yes. So they they introduced a wiener cycle, a wiener rover, and a wiener drone. So there's other... (laughs) Vehicles, yeah. Can you you imagine a hot dog, Uh, like, coming at you from the air? Like, ah! Yeah. It's the wiener drone. Oh, Wow. 
Sorry, I just Googled how much you get paid. Don't, don't Google Wiener Drone. <laughs> yeah. Just say that right now. That's probably not a good choice. There are 12 Wienermobile driver positions available for 2023. <laughs> the competition is fierce. In past years, less than 1% of applicants were selected. The salary for the year is about $35,000. Drivers also get a weekly allowance for meals and personal travel, 18 paid days off, and full health benefits. Do you have, is to, it, do you yeah. have to wear a hot dog suit while driving the Wiener Boogie? Are the, are the meals all hot dogs? Like, you basically <laughs> right. get, like, it's a lifetime today you're supply drinking, of like, cheese filled. Dipping them, in, dipping them in water. And, yeah. Oh, that's Nathan's. Never mind. Yeah. What class CDL do you have to have to drive the Wiener Oh, is that's a, a fair question. W? I don't think you do. Class no, W, good one, Bill. I think it's a standard driver's license because, like wow. I said, being it was like a college age kid that was driving it. That was my boss's or my wife's boss's son or whatever. So, pretty sure you just need an off the off the street driver's license. Found my retirement job. There you yep. go. Instead of driving school bus, you're going to drive Wiener Mobile. Yep. Hammering dogs and driving the <laughs> Wiener Mobile. What does the horn sound like on the Wiener Mobile? Does it play the Oscar Mayer tune? I, think I wish play, I were an Oscar Mayer hot dog. It plays dog. the uh, Dukes of Hazard. Oscar do you remember, Mayer hot dog's what I'd like to Do you remember be. that study that came out a while back that said, like, you eat a hot dog, you lose, like, 20 minutes of your life. Yeah. You eat peanuts, you gain 20, whatever it was. What if you're the hot dog driver and that's all you eat? Your lifespan is, like, one year. That's why there's, that's why there's all these positions available every year. <laughs> you just put peanuts on your hot dog. Then. There you go. Cancel each other out. Yeah. That's exactly or how it works. Spread peanut it, butter. If you... Fry your hot dog in peanut oil. Does that Ooh. count? Ooh. A fried hot dog. Probably not. <laughs> oh. Well, that uh, sounds pretty good. It's called a corn dog, Max. I don't know if you ever put a little yeah. breading on it, fry it. No, I was going straight, like regular oh, hot, straight, just straight, straight, straight hot straight dog. Right in the hot dog, hot oil, then throw her on a bun. Ooh, baby, I bet you that's good. It'd be a very precise timing. I, I feel like you wouldn't be able to leave it in there long. Todd can hook you up with a, a broiler or a cooker for your... Oh, the deep fried turkey yeah. fryer? I got a turkey fryer for, oh, a, yeah. for a wedding I gift. It's been kind of... I wouldn't say it's retired, but I haven't used it what in if we made after a, seeing too many videos of people tur- like... Turkey out of hot dogs yeah. and then Ooh. cooked it. That'd be kind of Made awesome. a turkey out of hot dogs, is that what you said? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we could technically use turkey dogs and then it would still just be turkey. Is that like a turd dog it? Yeah, stuff the turkey, stuff a turkey with, with hot dogs. dogs. Turdoggin. Turdoggin. I'd eat that. Stuff a chicken with hot dogs, then shove that inside of turkey. Turdoggin. All right. Don't get me wrong. I, I like a good hot dog, like a nice, you know, Clemens natural, like casing. natural casing. There is nothing like an Oscar no. Mayer standard I, overprocessed dog, baby. Got to have those guys, once in a while. You guys ever while. just eat them like cold? Or That's disgusting. No. Grow up. I, <laughs> no, like. That's, no, that's I, a negatory, I, Ghost Rider. I, yeah, I don't know why I like that, but I what is wrong with you? Done that. You, pro- you, you probably eat your spaghettios out of a can too. You know what? No, that's cold gross. mac and that, cheese uh, with his cold. We dogs. used to we used to have a, a, a treat we like to enjoy at the in the early morning hours, and it was uh, tortilla, refried beans, uh, Oscar Mayer hot dog. Mm-hmm. Throw it in the microwave for a couple seconds. We'll smoke a couple of those babies down. And go right to bed. It was gross every time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now we'll get to our last sp- section for today, the Field Good Friday. For this week, a 13-year-old registered Holstein cow has claimed the new record for the most m- lifetime milk. 
So we Wisconsin's been dethroned. That's the only downside Ooh. with this. Is it's, give it a six months? Yeah, I, that's a, it's a it's challenge a, to the dairymen. The so, gauntlet has been thrown. So I don't know if you guys remember we talked about this, but the old winner was a cow it was from a, Lancaster. Yeah, I think. it was like a Buttles farm or something. Yeah, like that, Buttles. Yeah, the new cow is from Nottingham, Pennsylvania. Nottingham Mason's Chrome View Farm. Thirteen-year-old registered Holstein is in her tenth lactation, and broke the record with her lifetime milk production of four hundred seventy-eight thousand two hundred pounds of milk. So she actually knocks off the the Wisconsin record by eighteen thousand pounds. It was four sixty. Was the Wisconsin? Yeah. yeah. You wonder if that. I, I was wondering that, like, did the Wisconsin one die then, or did they just, like... Well, or stop milking yeah, for well, some reason. Yeah, right. It just... It says... I pulled back you know, the article, Todd. It says Hilda passed away before the record was certified. She was oh, the co- this cow did? No. The Wisconsin, the Wisconsin, Wisconsin one. one. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. So, no, that's a weird deal of, like, yeah, these could do even better sometimes than that, so... <laughs> I like the section in here where it basically gives her uh, <clears throat> her Tinder profile. As a typical dairy cow, she prefers spending her time eating, chewing her cud, being milked, or resting in one of her three favorite stalls. I I, I like the uh, I like the showmanship description of her. The her build is classic Holstein of average size, open I, rib, excellent dairy character, remarkable feet and legs, and an udder still beautifully attached as a tenth lactation dairy cow. Deep ribbed. For for her age, she's an impressive cow. Like, oh, she's gorgeous. I mean, but I still, if you would say, like, this is the top cow ever, you wouldn't picture her as, like, your, like, I, like she just looks like a cow. She's a, yeah. Like, but, like. Uh, that what, bag is pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. But, like, but it isn't what, you. this isn't, like, World Dairy Expo. You would not see her up against. No. Like any of those. Like that's maybe well, this what I'm a, getting. This is at. a homegrown like, champ. Like I mean, she, this is a... she's this she's the marathon runner. Like those are the sprinters. Like yep. this yeah, like she's in it for long haul. Like this one's like yeah, this is the girl you marry that's gonna <laughs> be with you forever. So if you're curious what four hundred and seventy eight thousand two hundred pounds of milk is equivalent to, that would be fifty five thousand six hundred and five gallons of milk. 889,674 cups of milk, 47,820 pounds of cheese, which is enough cheese for 127,520 12-inch pizzas, Hmm. 593,120 scoops of ice cream, or 22,557 pounds of butter. And taking the average milk price over her 10 lactations... She has produced approximately $92,402.50 worth of milk. So she's nearly a $100,000 cow. Is that the farm milk production? The farm's value or the consumer value? Just says taking the average milk price. So hmm. don't don't really don't really know, Max. I can't give you the specifics. Pretty impressive either way. Yeah. I wish I wish she was in Wisconsin, but I, I, hey, this is like challenge accepted, isn't it? If you're like a Wisconsin dairy farm now, you're just yeah, you're trying to find the next lifetime milk champ. You wonder if they like realize like one at what point did they realize like guys she's she's made a lot of milk. Like at what point right, do you, you realize like you're getting close to the record? I feel like that's probably in your 
yeah, like when they're old, like like she's thirteen right now, right? When right she's old, ten years when old, when she was ten, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, congratulations to Chromeview Charles. Now we'll wrap things up. So thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So today we talked about P and K and kind of how we figure out those removal rates for those two and how it changes as you increase yield. Our spotlight, we talked about considerations for those establishing alfalfa issues you may have and make sure you keep track of what your chemical you're putting out there and the plant back restrictions for those chemicals. Egg History Minute, we talked about potash corp and the history of the potash production. Cool Beans, That's Corny. Cool Beans was Mississippi River is on the rebound. Our That's Corny was the Wienermobile has been offered to become vegan in order to replace its catalytic converter by PETA. And our Field Good Friday was the new milk champion, 13-year-old cow from Pennsylvania. So thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.